Hey guys, welcome to another episode of MC Anime. I'm MC Anime, and uh, I have a special guest with me today, uh, Bob Rich. He's a avid blogger, publisher, author, and a grandfather of all, and also a Buddha princess. Apprentice. How you doing today, Mr. Rich? Oh, well, I'm not bad for an old fellow. But yeah, I'm a professional grandfather, uh, which means anybody born about 1993 or after can be my grandchild. They only have to apply. Anybody from 1968 on can be my child. Anybody older than that can be brother or sister. So and a few people might be aunties and uncles. So they apply. What is there a form to be like a grandchild or child or brother or sister? Well, a great many of them write me emails of despair. Give me one reason why I shouldn't commit suicide. Or, when I was 10 years old, I sexually molested a child and I want to kill myself. And I've got healing words. Mm. I can, most of the time, point them, at least point them to the way to a good life. Oh. Regardless of where they come from. And then it's up to them to walk it, and most of them do. And then some of them stay in touch with me for decades after. So they really are family. Okay, okay. So you're a professional grandfather. What's some of your other hats that you like to do? Well, since 1972, I've been a, a, an environmental and humanitarian activist. Because I had young kids at the time, and I wondered... What have I done bringing new people into this world? So I researched the future, you know, where current trends are leading at the time. And what I arrived was was horrific. I basically predicted today's world. And so ever since then, I've been doing my best to create a survivable future for my kids, which is all kids on the planet, and their kids in perpetuity. And a world worth living in, which means to replace hate and greed and and all that with a decent society. Okay. You know, one particular aspect was the environmental that I reached out to you. You know, being author is also another aspect. Uh, The particular aspect I wanted to touch on that I thought would be really interesting is... uh, the Buddhism as a philosophy. So I wanted mm-hmm. to like branch out Asian studies, spirituality of Buddhism. And that's where I came to be with the title episode. Mm. Well, every sentient being anywhere in the universe is an apprentice Buddha, which is the same as being an apprentice Jesus for people who happen to be Christians. We are all on the way to becoming enlightened spirits sometime. Now, for some people, it can be a sudden transformation. I have had clients and people I've known who went from, excuse the language, utter bastards to becoming enlightened spirits mm. through one experience. It is possible. Yeah. But for most of us, it takes perhaps thousands of lifetimes. And we progress, go up and down a little bit, but on the average we grow from experience until we get there. And the criterion is when we can give unconditional love, well, you know what, the term matter, you may be familiar with matter, Mm -hmm. uh, to everyone regardless of circumstances, and it's not an effort of a conscious choice, it just comes automatically. Then you're enlightened. And is it and the, Buddha, the philosophy of Buddhism also like the tenfold path? And if you follow this particular structure of life, you would get this impact or the next reincarnation, stuff like that? Well, uh, yes, the, the, the four noble truths. Yeah. Uh, all life is suffering because. If I, if I have something bad and want it to go away, then I'm suffering. 
if I have something good and don't want it to stop, then I'm scared of it stopping and that's suffering. And the way to, therefore, the way to stop suffering is to detach, to not be attached. So if I can live in this moment, this moment I'm talking with you and it's beautiful. This moment is beautiful. If the next moment our internet goes out and we're not talking to each other, c'est la vie. No? Mm-hmm. Shit happens. True. And, and so that's the third step. And then the fourth step is how to get from ordinary life to enlightenment is much more complicated, and that's the Eightfold Path. Okay. But uh, as I said, some people can do it like this. And uh, that that stage for enlightenment is that the more the religious aspect, or also the philosophy, and then turn into religion. You can be an atheist and say there is no God, there is only this material existence. Well, yeah, because but, Buddhism doesn't. But but happen. but if you give unconditional love to all, the Dalai Lama says. Mm-hmm. My, my, my religion is kindness. The meaning of enlightenment is to be of service. Okay. Uh, there was a recent, very recent news event, and in one of my latest blog posts, a man in, in Britain on a train started abusing two girls, one of whom had dark skin and one was wearing a Muslim hijab. And three men went to stop him, and he pulled a knife, and he murdered two of them and seriously wounded the third. And one of those men, a young man of only 23, is dying worse well, tell everyone on this train that I love them. That's an enlightened spirit. I don't know what his religion was, and it doesn't matter. What his beliefs were don't matter. His actions... I get off an enlightened spirit. Okay. And then, so he needn't come back. So, he might choose to come back to be of service, but he needn't. So, the, the philosophy here, yes, in this current life, he did this crime, but that last moment, he found the enlightenment to possibly recycle into another life? As I understand it, we are caterpillars feeding on the green leaves of experience until we graduate as butterflies. He has graduated as a butterfly. And that's the aim of all of us. And, you know, an apprentice learns by acting as if he were a master. But he's allowed to make mistakes because you learn from mistakes. Okay. There's no such thing as a mistake, fault, or defect. Only learning opportunities. And I know my little bit, my philosophy is: well, we have the Ten Commandments and the fruits of the Spirit. Those things will help guide you in finding the right path. Of course, worship is part of that. But for me. It's very enlightening of the simple fact I make a difference. I am service to others through what I believe and I want to give back. That is the impact I want to leave. So the mission-related work is definitely in who I am, what I want to be, and also kind, fruit, spirit, joy, you know, kindness, Generosity, all of that is what I want to be, to come, become, to, and always improve, because there's always something to improve upon. I'm not the perfect white slate, as, you know, everyone thinks Christianity is. It's not. It's, you constantly have at fault, and you always try to fix those faults. You're not, you're imperfect, but you try to fix those in, imperfections. Hmm. Wouldn't it be boring to be perfect? Oh yeah, I I would I could not imagine a perfect example of anyone 
you know, even in my religion, but just what my my study is that you know is there really an example of perfect? Because we have a being we know nothing about, so we don't know if they're perfect or imperfect. So it's unknown what you know that aspect. And then we have a uh, the the Trinity being represented in uh, Christ, and Christ was just as human as we were, had the same imperfections. And then the other Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the consciousness inside all of us, telling us exactly what we do, or that last voice guiding you into this particular path, not to do this choice, is just an entity telling us something else. So, hmm. in that triangle, there isn't really a perfect example uh, to look upon because to me, either one is unknown who they are, one is hypothetically your own voice, but your subconscious voice telling you something else. And then the other was us at one point, but is still a branch off the same being that we don't know nothing about. Mm. Well, Jesus had a short temper. Yes. He changed the money, the money changes out of the temple and good for him. Wish, wish he could do do to our money changes. All this, you know, the big businesses which is ruining this world. Yes. And also, in in the Bible it says, uh, Satan said, bow down before me and all this can be yours. And it took him 40 days and 40 nights to say, Get thee behind me, Satan. It, it, he, he had a struggle with it. Gandhi was an enlightened spirit, no question. Oh, yeah. And yet he had so many faults. He had faults. Oh, yeah. But okay. And Mandela started a violent revolution. Mind you, had justification. Yeah. But 22 years in jail... And what came out was an enlightened spirit. Okay. So he, he single-handedly stopped the bloodbath. True. So what you saying is a very key point is that enlightenment is across all cultures of life. Doesn't it doesn't define who they are, what background they're you, from. They can reach it upon a certain fortitude and service to society. You don't even need to be human. Okay. You can have enlightened animals. There are examples of humpback whales defending the mother and calf of a different species of whales from orcas. There are examples of very strong bonds of mutual love between an octopus and a human. We are not the only sentient beings on this planet. And this planet is only one of uh, uncount uncountable seats of life in the universe. And yeah, there are sentient that beings. Definition. Uh, yeah. That fit with that definition, the right zone, the right distance, the, the, perfect, the, the star being at least yellow but could be red, you know, all that factor in. You, you, uh, that, even that's too, too uh, blanket. Yeah, that's a blanket too. Look, that replicates you, 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 perfect. Any, any, any ongoing organization of energy yep. that is aware of itself, able to think, you know, and reproduces itself and lives in dynamic balance okay. uh, with its environment. Is a person. Okay, how about a... I know this isn't one thing that's like non-living, but could be can be living, a virus. They reproduce, they mutate, but they don't really... They're not a sentient being. So, how would a virus fit? 
My understanding is that a virus is a bit of insertable genetic code. Yes. I don't think a virus is alive in the way a bacterium is alive. Yes, bacterium is told as a, as a living organism compared to a virus. Uh, yeah, a, a virus, I, I don't think a virus can have sentience. Okay. But I think a bacterium does, you know, in proportion. <laughs> but, for example, I can uh, conceive of uh, living beings in the magma of a planet. Mm-hmm or in the corona of a star, or silicon-based life, life forms orbiting a star in, or being in inter- interstellar space. And, you know, there is the Gaia hypothesis that the Earth itself is a sentient being. I can conceive of that. True. Well, it's also the conversion of, na- of nature and energy. And that energy is slowly creating a byproduct for living organisms. Because mm. Earth is, is a really particular thing because it affects so specific factors for life to happen. Because you have to have carbon, nitrogen, sulfur, oxygen, hydrogen, all of that to happen. But also the right distance from the sun, uh, an atmosphere to actually protect you from the sun, you know, there's all these different uh, aspects that needs to happen for that building block to achieve. No, that needs to happen for Earth-like life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look, um, one of my books I've titled Ascending Spiral because it's my fictionalized biography. Mm -hmm. It's my life, but to understand my current life, uh, much of it is on five previous lives. And two of those lives, according to my past life recalls, I spent off Earth. And one was a planet, and it was a carbon-based life form. But one was a life form uh, of planetary size, which lived in uh, interstellar space and could move from star to star. So, okay, I'm, I've got good imagination, it's possible, but if you read that book, uh, I think there's a lot of internal consistency, which I didn't make up, but it was given to me. Okay. So, you... Hypothetically, divine intervention, something of a previous life, gave you the basis of that book to complete it, tell about it, share your story, share the life stories of the previous reincarnations. And as a result, through that cycle, you were able to publish that book. Well, no, what, what happened was, you know, I've, I've had decades of experience as a psychotherapist, got a PhD in psychology, uh, but I had an extremely traumatic infancy. And I wanted to deal with the trauma of my childhood. And so I eventually found a therapist. I know it had to be a woman and older than me. And I found one. And she used hypnosis for... Uh, age regression to deal with the traumas of my infancy, but I also went into past lives, and we spent, basically I visited her in her home, and we spent four days of continuous therapy, and that's where I got several past lives, including some quite bizarre ones, or what seemed bizarre, and then I spent two years of self-hypnosis following them up and assembled all the information for my own use. And then I decided, hey, this will be interesting for other people. And then I fictionalized it because in order to protect the guilty, you know, I don't want to be sued for some of the information in there. Well, why are you and sued? that's this book. Why will you be sued if it's your own work? Because... 
some of the claims I make about some people, uh, unless I could prove them, uh, could be defamatory. I mean, people write books about uh, different experiences all the time don't have to be necessarily proven to be uh, their personal account oh. of what could have happened or your previous lives. No, 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 no. If I wrote a book in which I claim that you stole $1,000 from me and you could sue me and unless I could prove it in court, I would be convicted. Anyway, there's a second reason I made it, I fictionalized it. There's a very powerful uh, psychological technique which comes from acceptance and commitment therapy, which is you write a film script. Uh, at this stage, you don't have a plot. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. But the hero of this film has your body and your exact past experiences, except this fictional person handled all the choices you made the way you know you wish you had. Okay? So where you made a mistake, your fictional version did it right. So then what you do is you step into the role, and from this moment forward, you act as if you were this person. So the hero of Ascending Spiral is that for me. Oh, okay. Because mm. I don't write film scripts, I write novels, so, you know? Yeah, but looking through that perspective... Okay, so let's go back to hypnosis for a second. Because hypnosis is a really interesting technique to go into the different depths of the subconscious and the mind. Because it reveals stuff that you previously don't either know... You push back, or it's just personal accounts that are just now being brought to light. Mm. Usually, I, uh, yeah, I actually, traumatic, I'm sorry. usually using traumatic situations to explore that possible outcome as a way to heal and get benefit from knowing some of the truth, the hidden truth. Yeah, well, when you go into hypnosis and go back to an earlier age, and there you do what's called exposure therapy, which means I'm in a safe situation and I re-experience the trauma time and time and time again until the emotion is gone. You can do that in a life state like we are now, but it might take 8 to 20 repetitions. Under hypnosis, you can probably do it in 3 repetitions. It's more powerful. And I've done lots, lots of hypnosis with other people, you know, as, as me as a hypnotist, and it's very powerful. So, hip, uh, hypnotism, is it possible to video, or is it physical, you know, interaction, like feet away, more powerful? I have uh, done hypnosis with people over... Uh, video conferencing like this. It's perfectly possible. If you were open to it, I, I could talk you into a beautiful hypnotic trance now, but you better not do it while we're in the, in the middle of an interview. Okay. And of course, different people have different hypnotic ability because it's actually the subject that, that does the work. Mm. I, as hypnotist, make suggestions if those suggestions exactly agree with you, then you follow them. If they're not quite right, you modify them and follow them. And if they're wrong, you reject them. If I tell you to do something objectionable, you open your, your eyes, punch me in the nose and walk out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. But for example, for example if, if I describe to you an Australian forest that you're walking along, you've never been in an Australian forest, Within your mind, you can convert it in, into an American forest and walk in that, and it'll work just as well. Okay. All right, so it's, on, it's working on the previous impactions of the person and what experiences they can derive from the, the power of suggestion 
which the power of the suggestion is quite powerful to what you can get someone to go with. I know that. Uh, as we see, we have seen it in the media. It's also been seen in real life and that there's different forms of suggestion and one powerful relationship that does it really well, husband and wife. Well, husband and husband, <laughs> wife and wife. That is one form of suggestion that can be very powerful. Well, um, it would probably be unethical to do it for members of your family. Yes. Uh, in abusive relationships, yes, where one partner has, or other forms of abusive relationship, then you know, uh, when one one person is the victim and the other person is the abuser, often you can uh, get them to succumb and. There are forms of torture like that using hypnosis, but still the subject needs to agree and comply and has the power not to. Okay. Anyway, would you like to go back to Buddhism? Yes. Which is what you wanted me to talk about? Yes. So, with the philosophy of Buddhism, what is one key aspect you want people to know about that is very important to understand. All life, all sentient life, is here, exists, in order to progress toward enlightenment. And uh, I can't remember if it was before we started recording or after, but the Dalai Lama has said, my religion is called kindness, the aim of enlightenment is to be of service. So even though I said it before, it's worth repeating. Oh, you haven't repeated it, because the Dalai Lama was the first time it's been mentioned. Yeah, yeah. That's, but that's fine. But it was a month. True. <laughs> and as an apprentice Buddha, all I need to do is the best I can to act as if I was already one. I learn from my experiences. Okay. So, we'll just get this out of the way. I'm not one of these people, but a lot of times when they hear Buddha, they refer to the giant statue. But the giant statue is not the symbol of Buddhism. Buddhism is a, a philosophy as a whole, and not just one entity. Yep, spot on. Exactly right. And in fact, in fact, just like Jesus would re reject much of what goes for Christianity today, I think the Buddha would reject much of God, what goes from Buddhism today. All the bright colors and gold and pagodas and, as you say, the statues, that's, that's not it. Yeah. It's in here. Notes inside, they're not limited to just a temple and a monk a monastery, anything like that. It's, mm. it's a, it's a, it's a, it it's a discipline that has the four, you know, the four ways to achieve, you know, how different ways, like suffering in the moment, the uh, overlapping and attachment of the world to the mm. enlightenment, to the, like, the experience of suffering itself, all of that is considered in and those four principles in practice are not always def defined clearly because there's different ways to find that meaning to that different principle, if I should say. There's a wonderful, you know, the Shintoist religion, which is the original religion of Japan. Yes. There's a wonderful saying, there are many mountains to God and many paths up each mountain. Yeah. Different there are many mountains to God, many paths up each mountain. And if you look at all the great religions and all the great philosophies that are not religions, they carry the same set of messages, each for its own culture. True. There is the one great truth 
which is expressed in Buddhism, in true Christianity, yep. in Islam, you know, in, in, in Judaism. I've read quite a number of learned books which show that unconditional love is also part of the Judaism message. Yep. Not necessarily practiced any more than for other religions, you know? No, because we're all, we're all unconditional love. First thing you think of unconditional mother and child, uh, family, but unconditional love is anyone. Any stranger can have the benefit of the unconditional love to you and from to them from you. Mm. To me, I think the unconditional love should be human nature. First off, of anything, because we all. We are all one race. We are not defined by, you know, the color of skin, mentitude, physical ability, who we are, what we are. We are human humanity, one race, all united, who can bring difference in the world of other humanity, which I think is really strong. By that concept, we are one entity that can intermingle, interpopulate, and bring new life, that transgression of everyone is the same is really true for me. We're all the same. We might speak a different language or look a little different. But at the end of the day, we are one humanity. We are one as a whole. I would go further. Uh one of my standard actions, and you have got a few from me, when I send emails, I attach a card to it. And one of my cards has a couple of beautiful birds on, and it says, all sentient life is my family. Yeah. So, you know, even, well, uh, mosquitoes are a little bit hard. <laughs> they, their role in the ecosystem is their role in the uh, food web is food for other animals yeah they suck your blood they can, they possibly can give you disease because they suck so many other animals but the, keep in mind their role in the ecosystem is the female mosquito it's not male mosquitoes that bite you. It's only female. And they're always stuck the, 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 the blood to reproduce because they had they had to fertilize their eggs. The blood is the nutrients to fertilize their eggs to, to nurture that path they're going down on. All the same, I don't that. like providing it. <laughs> no, like if you think about it, you've been you've been a pain to every female mosquito. Then yes. They don't judge. They don't care who you are. You can be rich, poor, whatever. They'll bite you, come in contact with you because you're near them, and they go back to, to do like a water source to lay the eggs and let the eggs hatch and repopulate the mosquito population. That's an endless cycle, and they have a short lifespan to do so. But, you know, you've been the pain in the neck, and they just want to get back at you. Mm. Anyway, apart from mosquitoes and, and similar animals like March flies, I'm <laughs> happy to accept. <laughs> I have a bit of a struggle there, but for the rest, everybody's my family. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there a particular concept of Buddhism that can be applied to everyday life? Not, not the four principles, but a particular... Yeah. I've got a case study. Okay. Which was how we organized our meeting. Right? Okay. We, we made a date. It wasn't convenient. We had to defer it. We made another date, uh, which was 2 p.m. my time and uh, 10 p.m. Uh, the day before for you. And then you sent me an email saying, oh, I have another engagement. Can we make it earlier in the day? So I sent an email saying I can be there for any time up to five hours early, which will make it 9 a.m. for me. 
and then I didn't get a reply. And then eventually the reply arrived when I got up out of bed, being an old bloke, to go to the toilet. There it was, uh, arrived about half past one in the morning, yep. saying, we can, we can have the 2 p.m. appointment. Then came 2 p.m., and we didn't have our appointment. I waited a quarter of an hour, sent you an email saying, well, we can reschedule, or if you want to do it now, phone me and I gave you the phone number. And you rang me, and here we are. Okay. I had, two, I had a choice of two ways of reacting to this series of events. Choice one was to act the way an, an enlightened spirit would, which is almost certainly we will have a wonderful talk, and that will be beautiful. And if we don't make it today, we'll reschedule and we'll make it then. And if we don't reschedule and we never talk, oh, well, it's probably not fatal. And if it is fatal, you might as well die of interviewitis as of anything else. You've got to die of something. Then we can have a laugh, okay? Mm-hmm. The other choice is to be full of resentment, negative arrangement. How oh, dare he do this to me? Of course, not knowing at all your circumstances, why things happen that way, which maybe probably is perfectly explainable. But, you know, I could fill myself up with full, full of negative emotions, which would do you no harm, but would harm me. You know, the Buddha said, anger is a hot coal you pick up to throw at someone else. It's your hand that gets burned. Yeah. So, I chose to act like a Buddha would. And so, I'm perfectly full of matter for you, unconditional love, and I'm not at all annoyed that things happen this way. So, here is your case study, how to apply it in everyday life. This goes for anything. You're driving in traffic, you're late for your appointment, and someone cuts in front of you. Do you pull out your gun and shoot them? Forgive him. It's not worth it. Hmm. You know, to, you know, do that action, what's the recourse? The recourse is simple. You go in the code of conduct of society. They shall judge you the punishment that is deemed punishable for that offense. You serve that punishment or, quote-unquote, die for that punishment, depending on the circumstances. And where does it get you? You serve the punishment. You might be out in good service, and you're out in the world back into society. You have two choices. Live a more simple life. Go down the easy path. Actually, no. Go back to the previous way of life you had before. Or go down the simp- the, a lot more easier path of life that is less trouble, less negative. That's less impact in society on a negative level. And coexisting mm. with the general population. One of my novels... Is called Hit and Run because the hero is a 14-year-old boy who hates himself and hates the world so much he wants to die, but he wants to take as many people with him as possible. So he steals a car and runs over 14 little children and the crossing guard and kills them, narrowly misses an old lady. That's the start. And that old lady leads him from being like that to being the kind of boy you wouldn't mind uh, having your your daughter daughter date. And that's done through the power of love. Yeah. And also, if if I if I may, there is a second. Yeah. Example, uh, in the Netherlands, they've got empty jails. The number of people needing to be jailed has fallen so much that they've got empty jails. They're repurposing them. Again, that's one of my recent blog posts. Because instead of punishment, they look at rehabilitation. 
which well, yeah, worked, but sometimes has a different result. I know that reimbordation is really good. It's still worth a try because the imprisonment system, incarceration, has a heavy toll on humanity. The 72 hours of isolation if you're in solitary confinement is really damaging to the human psyche. Uh, the monotonous uh, routine of day in, day out, you wake up, do this job, eat lunch, live with the same people every day who did some crime against humanity in some capacity, and maybe you don't like that person. You come accustomed to the library or your duties as the food janitor, you know, whatever it is. You have one hour exercise in the community, in the, in the, in the yard, but that type of livelihood with very few enjoyments of society breaks you down mentally. You accept your condition and the toll afterwards is just like a toll of uh, active duty service members of military. That warlike persona changes your entire life perspective. Being in a prison mm. does the same thing. And it does so to a such degree that you get trapped in your own routine, but and you sometimes can't get out of it. Yes, uh, people not being able to break out of the criminal lifestyle is the most frequent outcome. But there are a great many examples of uh, enlightenment. In I, 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 I forget which one of the American prisons instituted a program of education yeah. and these guys, many of whom had never finished high school, never got to high school even, yeah. GED is a they, big... they, they, caught, they caught up on their education mm -hmm. and then they did graduate courses from prison and something like 2% recidivism, most of them turned into decent people. Punishment is not the answer. And also the push in the American uh, incarceration system, GED is actually a really big push to finish your diploma. Uh, it's actually really, some people uh, go there, I mean it's, it's a benefit to let people think about because they get their GED, they're very grateful, they look to philosophy and religion, you know, because they're into both of those terms are integrated as a way to seek out new meaning to life. And that the new meaning can get them through the previous lifestyle. That can possibly break that mold for them. Hmm. And uh, GDD is one of those hopes that surprisingly people get really excited about when you're in the incarceration system because you can get to finish your high school. Mm. Well, basically the way out of a bad life or what feels like a bad life inside is to stop focusing on what's wrong in my life to mm -hmm. how can I be of benefit to other people. Exactly. You shine the searchlight of attention on the positive, uh, just last, just yesterday, Sunday, I finished a five-session online course on positive psychology, um, and it's been quite a wonderful experience. We've had weekly sessions, and just watching those people grow, and they're already, I mean, they were in that course because they're already caring, giving people. Yeah. And uh, I, I feel that I've, I've really been of benefit to them. Yep. And I've learned from them too. And it's quite wonderful. And from my perspective, I always have the potential to grow and do more. I connect with people as a way to... I get to know them at this moment. And if, another, uh, if a future moment comes along, take it. If not, you have them in that moment. And that discussion, mm. or that piece of interaction, 
with them that can carry on into different meanings or different outcomes. After all, there is only this moment. Exactly. And when you have mm. this moment, you're not guaranteed another moment unless that path of intervention comes along and makes that moment happen. Mm. Well, the forever now mm-hmm. is the only reality we have. Exactly. Mm. So that's one part of the secrets of a contentment being feeling good inside. This moment I'm, I'm okay. It may actually be the case that I've got, uh, I don't know, but there were years in my life when I had like between six and nine out of ten pain on a chronic basis. And I was perfectly content with life. Some days I saw eight clients for one hour sessions and then a home visit. And I had Panadin Forte in my bag with me, but didn't bother to take it. I was okay with the pain. And that's what the Buddhist mindset can do for you. Because this is John Kabat-Zinn's mindfulness-based pain management that I was using. Because I used to teach that to people. You heard of John Kabat-Zinn? I don't believe I have. Oh, a wonderful person. Uh, in the 19, late 1960s, when it wasn't at all fashionable yet, uh, in Boston General Hospital, he established what they called a stress management clinic. And basically, he got referred to him people in intractable pain. And it was an eight-week course, at the end of which they still had the pain the pain sensation, but they were no longer suffering because no more attachment. It's there, it's, it's allowed to be there, okay. And anybody can use it, anybody can learn to use it. I've taught it to hundreds of people, as I said. I've, I've used it for, for many years myself. Okay. So, my perspective, if you already have someone in willing to do service for others, what can they gain by Buddhism to achieve more? If they already have it, how can they get more from it? I think that's the wrong perspective. What can if I, add look, look, to them as a if, if, I, if, if I happen to do something that makes another person feel good, and that makes me feel good, I don't do it for a selfish reason of wanting to feel good. No. That's, that's, a, that's a side effect. I do it because I want to be of benefit. Yeah, you want to benefit society and give back to society, even if society don't give it back to you. You at least give. Well, society is too big a unit. Oh yeah, I just talk about. I just talk talk about. But you can benefit them in a small in a in a some. There there is this little spider Mm -hmm. doing a desperate breaststroke in the bucket of water, and I fish it out. Then I can feel good about myself. Even though that poor little spider doesn't, probably hasn't got enough understanding to know that someone's done it a favor, just know that, hey, I'm not, not dying anymore, wonderful. You know? Mm-hmm. Okay. So- yeah, I'd, like to men- I'd like to mention I've got lots of resources about Buddhism on my blog. Um, one of them is uh, an, uh, an essay, which is a, a, a debate with a, a very Christian gentleman called Buddhism for Christians, and I've sent you the link. I'll put, put the link in the chat. But there are lots of other things too. Yeah. And also, a great many people nowadays despair because we're in the sixth extinction event of this planet. We are. 
rapid sliding toward extinction. Oh yeah, and we all do. I'm very, I'm very motivated to be of service to people who feel like it. And I've got lots of resources like that on my website. And that's what this uh, five-session positive psychology course was about. The, the actual title is COVID and, Climate and COVID Anxiety, How to Cope with it Using Positive Psychology. No? And I intend to run this course again sometime in the future. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll, I'll be charging money for it, but the money won't be for my benefit. I'll be donating it. Because money can cost more than it's worth. Yeah. And I've been so certain associations mm. with money that people want to gravitate towards, and mm. sometimes it doesn't. Oh, it it's what we call greed, and greed in my yeah. culture is a sin. So you just gotta be yeah. careful with that. Yeah. Money. The problem just, is not. It's, it just it has no. The only value it has is the value that mankind gives it. One day, completely useless because that country backing it, giving it value, no longer exists. So just keep that in mind. It's it's the emperor's clothes. Yep. As as long as you are willing to give me stuff for the money I hand you, it has value. Yep. As long as it can buy goods and services, but it's an illusion. But the point is, of course, that as you said, wealth is not the problem, greed is wanting more. Oh yeah, but also, but also, buying stuff fuels the destruction of the planet. Every dollar you spend, yep, converts that little bit of nature into pollution. Mm-hmm. So my, one of my environmental actions has been to deliberately live below the poverty level of my country for many years since 1978. Indeed, and do that? As a result, we live like royalty. Do you do that? Hmm. Do you live below the poverty line to uh, teach that example? We have for many years. And the, let me get caught up on this. Uh, the people that think living to society of subsistence and only of survival, uh, you really don't need much. To order to be happy, it's not the how much you have, it's what the impact of the life is. So a very mm. little income can be so much better than someone with lots of money and nothing. They don't know no willpower to do with it. Because they just suffer that you yeah. spend. Uh, the more money you get, the, the, the more money you get, it just inflates, it just doesn't matter. A lot of people... When they win the lottery, they're not happy. They don't have life yep. satisfaction because they don't know what this big change is you, you, really you, an illusion. It just creates a couple of years of temporary satisfaction that just leads to despair or unsuffering. It, it, it leads it, 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 as a result it, of an illusion that is suffering in the beginning. So you don't it, it's in, it, my family it's, it's interesting. middle class. Oh. And we it's, 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 it's interesting about about a, a third of my book on depression called from, one of my books is From Depression to Contentment, mm-hmm. a self therapy guide, because it's a a course of therapy in your pocket. Yeah. But one third of it is positive psychology and what that's based on is what you've just said. People have a, a preferred level of Happiness or misery. Yeah. Yeah. What's, the technical term is hedonic adaptation. Mm-hmm. So if something good happens to you, you get a, a blip and then you return to the same level. Something bad happens to you, you get back to the same level. But the tools of positive psychology can long-term raise this hedonic level. So if all your life it's been bumping up and down, you can you can raise it by using the tools of positive psychology, and that's what my course is about, and it's in my book. So if you look up 
from depression to contentment by Dr. Bob Rich, or Bob Rich PhD. You, you, you can buy a, a copy for a few, an electronic copy for a few dollars, or it's in paperback and also audio. And the other thing is, anybody who buys any of my books can get a second book for free. <laughs> uh, but anyway, what you've just said is in there. And look, when I was doing my honours, uh, one of my colleagues did a research study on people who had won a, a $1 million lottery. Yep. And this, back in the, in the 60s, $1 million then would be worth, I don't know, $50 million, $100 million, I have no idea what, how much inflation, but, but it was a very big thing. And then she compared various measures of well-being from these people to the census data. And suicide, drug addiction, divorce, um, all these measures of feeling bad were actually worse. Yep some years down the track, for the lottery winners than for the general population. And there's a perfectly good explanation, which is, I thought I was in heaven, and I'm back, back where I was. And so the disappointment can actually plant you further down. Yeah. You know, if even a million dollars didn't pull me out of my misery, what's there to live for? You know? Oh, yeah. And, and also with me, uh, me being middle class... And having, you know, not a high-income family, I have learned that most of the stuff I have gotten, like technology-wise or entertainment, was my own money. I hmm. got a job, and I got most of this life satisfaction by saving up money to buy certain items even before I had a job. Because I had, you know, generous grandparents every holiday. <laughs> You know, like, December, January, February, March, and then, like, other days, they would give me money and all that stuff. I would save that money up, and if I have a particular thing I was saving for, I would. But a lot of times, I would make a, a potential transaction in the future that made me benefit in the long run because it made me me satisfied that it was my own money that I saved to purchase that item. So that most of the stuff I've got in my life wasn't given to me. I paid for it and along the way enjoyed it. And if I valued it. Guess what? I pay all the taxes, whatever forty percent the government wanted, and put the rest in the IRA <laughs> And not touch into a rainy day because I don't want to be taxed on that income any more than I already was before. <laughs> it's just a simple logic. Because the more money you keep drawing from, the more money you pay in taxes, and it just dwindles and dwindles and dwindles, and you have nothing left. So I'd rather just save it for a rainy day, put an IRA, or donate to charity because I, at the moment, have no use for it. It's just going to make my entire life upside down because I can't for the taxes that associate with the new money. Because once you're being poor, or middle, uh, lower middle class, and you get a bunch of money, you're miserable with it. Because you don't have the money to pay all the taxes associated with it. Well, even if there was no tax. <laughs> uh, look, another wonderful psychological tool is the funeral oration. Mm -hmm. Imagine that you're 93 years old and you're lying on your deathbed mm. and you've decided to plan your funeral and you want to write what you want one of your great-grandchildren to say over your coffin. What would you like that to be? And then, having written that, you've got the rest of your life to earn the funeral oration. So, what do you want it to be? Thank heavens the old boss is dead. Now I can grab my fair share of the inheritance. And look at you guys, I've got good lawyers. You know, 
I used to call him Gramp to his face, but Grump behind his back, because he never had any time for us. Is that what you want on your funeral? No. What I or is it? What I would. Or, 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 is it, or is it the alternative of, you know, do excuse me, I find it hard to speak because I keep crying. And I remember all the good things about grandfather. Anytime I was troubled, all I had to do was a phone call to him, and he made me feel good. And I don't know how I survived from him, but he'll be in my heart for the rest of my life. Oh, yeah. With me, I want people to imagine <laughs> the impact I have, the, uh, the happiness I bring, the kind-hearted words I always would like to share if given the opportunity. You know, my relentless input in conversations, I would eavesdrop, give my input. If it's helpful, it's helpful. If it's a little condescending or doesn't make sense, that's also a case too. Because, you know what? I don't make sense. Sometimes it's the best. I'm random, spontaneous, and also want to be remembered for just my impact with others and how I treated them. That's it. That's all I want. And I guarantee you, most people are going to remember that because that's just who I am. This is how I live. That's the sentiment I carry to the grave, and I will always carry it. Because that's just what I want to be known for. And if I'm known for a deeper, even deeper connection than that, then that one impact is worth it in the end. Well, you're doing what we were uh, sent to this planet to do. Excellent. And just, just keep being as you are. Anyway... Um, if your listeners would like to read lots of good stuff, look up Bobbing Around Dr. Bob Rich, and it's all there. And everything I do, including my 19 published books, are there to make the world a better place because I want a survival, survivable world and one worth, worth surviving in for all my children and grandchildren, including you. You know what? I feel honored to be the honorary grandchild of you. Because you know what? <laughs> Who knows? It might become by blood... You know what? Not even by relationship. Your family to well, me, just for the if you, if you go back far enough. that we're all connected as one, and as one, as such, should have the right to go down the right path. And you're going down the right path that's meant for you. And I'm really glad for that. You know what's one of my most, most treasured memories? For some years, I worked as the mental health counsellor in an Australian Aboriginal health centre. And after the first couple of months, all the young people called me Uncle Bob. Now, in Australian Aboriginal culture, uncle and auntie are terms reserved for elders which is a great honor. So they adopted me as an elder, and that's just, just wonderful. That's really good to hear. Uh, mm. Before we close up the episode, is there any closing aspects of the Buddha psyche or philosophy that you have not shown but, sh- shown, but want to share to the audience before we leave? Well, intentions, ideas, thoughts are okay, but you've got to move things from your head to the heart. It's not what you believe, but what you do. Mm-hmm. So, act the change you want to be. And How does that to sound? that degree, also act accordingly. There's always a choice. And that mm. choice always has consequences. Positive, negative. Whatever you choose can be the direct result after or events even like decades after that choice can come back to you. You just don't realize until you reflect on it and maybe think, hmm, if I went down this path, would this have happened in this way in my life? So keep that in mind. And Buddhism is one philosophy that 
again, since there's that philo- that choice making process, but also as a way to become aware of it and what it could lead in the moment of the possible future and reflecting from the future from the past as well. So every moment counts and you need to do it. And you need to believe in the moment that it's good or at least the choice you made. Even if it was a bad choice, there is steps to recover from it, learn from it, and become a better person because of it. The experience that you had along the way counts. So thank you so much. Uh, This is NC Anime closing out. And uh, Mr. Bob Rich here with us with us closing out as well. Thank you so much.